when the sun goes down, we up the ante. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet tonight or the pre-pregame show for game one of the ALCS. We'll have that coming up. The official pregame show starts up at the bottom of the hour. Then the first pitch flies just after 8 o'clock in Houston tonight. Red Sox and Astros starting up the American League Championship Series after both teams advance. The National League Championship Series will get going tomorrow. Dodgers and Braves. Sarah Langs of MLB will join us a little later on in the half-hour program. Again, quick, quick sprint edition here. It's Brent Gunning with you. So happy to be here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. In just a moment or so, I'm going to be joined by Rachel Dory. Obviously, got to get her thoughts. There was never going to be a world where people were going to be subdued and calm and reasonable in their reactions to the Leafs start. Unless... They blew out the Canadians 10-0, and they blew out the Sens 10-0 again. People would be slow to overreact in a positive way, but with a little bit of stubbing your toe last night, a lot of bit of stubbing your toe in both starts of the games, of course, against Montreal and, and in Ottawa last night, there is a lot of consternation early on. Now, you know, if you're somebody who pays attention to what's going on with the Blue Jays, perhaps this, this phrase will, will mean a little something to you. It's early. Okay, it's two games. There's 80 left in a regular season. You hope there's a lot more than that left in the playoffs. And, 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 I don't think this can be overstated. The team's best player has yet to play in any of them yet. Of course, I'm talking about Austin Matthews there. So I think that we all need to cool the brakes a little bit. Are there concerning things? Are there worrying trends? Yes, yes, yes. Can you ask more of star players? Of course, of course, of course you can. But when it comes to... When it comes to the start for this team, I think you have to take a somewhat leveled approach. We'll see if my first guest tonight uh, agrees with Rachel Dory joining me now. Rachel, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I just gearing up to watch some hockey on a Friday night. How are you? Well, I mean, given that description, I'll be going back and forth, mixing in a little baseball as well. And I'll be honest, going to be shutting it down real early tonight because I got a big day tomorrow. But that's not important. I'm lovely. I'm lovely. The NHL season is back. Now, Rachel, the thing I've been wondering about is is the reaction to the first two games of the season. I think that in the grand scheme of things, it's been pretty level-headed. But but what have you made of, of the reaction to the least first two games? And, and then I'll get your, your thoughts going forward. I think everyone needs to settle down. Like, just take many, many chill pills. It's like they've played two games. And, I mean, how are you making judgments? An 82-game season, they've played like 5% of their season, maybe. Not even, like 3%. Like, everyone just chill. It's it's not that big of a deal. That's the right answer, and I'm happy I have someone who agrees with me. And, of course, if you like Rachel's thoughts, you can check out the uh, Staff and Graph podcast uh, as well. But, you know, not until you're done listening to this lovely conversation right here. You know, what what for me it all comes down to is I think the one thing you can point to, and, again, not overreact, not say this is a thing that's going to hold, but when it's stuff that has concerned you in the past and it's creeping in again, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, it's just the start of hockey games. feels like we could go back to... 
to the Mike Babcock era of, of this kind of group, and it always feels like there is somebody who, or there, there is a, there's a slow start lurking for this team, and it just feels like they have trouble getting going. If there's one area that I'd pinpoint and say, we can overreact a little bit to that, I think it'd be that in the slow starts, because this hasn't been a two-game problem. This has been a, like, three, four seasons problem for me. I don't even think you can call it an overreaction at this point because I, I don't even think it's a, a four-season problem. I think this is going back. We're looking at pretty close to half a decade, if not longer here. And so for me, I look at it and I say, okay, well, let's see. We've changed the GM and, and nothing's changed. We've changed the coach and nothing has changed. We've changed the assistant coaches and nothing has changed. What haven't we changed? Well, we've changed a bunch of the, we'll call it complimentary players. We've changed the goaltender. And I don't even think you can even blame the goaltenders for any season because, I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. If the goaltenders aren't good at the start of the game, we're talking about a team that doesn't have as many wins because a lot of times the Leafs were bailed out by their goalie with their poor starts. And so, who are we looking at here? We're looking at the top-end players of the team, whether it's on defense starting slow, whether it's up front starting slow. And I don't know whether um, you could do anything about that short of changing who is at the core of this hockey team. And I'm, I'm not really sure that the Leafs are ready to do that. Do you think they should be more prepared to do that? And and if so, is it as simple as, as the guy who wears 16 is the one who would have to go? Like, are you kind of there yet were you there this off season i think i'm at the point now the way i look at it and i, I think i look at it from a different lens than a lot of people because i saw a lot of people this summer you got to trade Marner, you got to do this you got to do that and i don't think that's necessarily fair because at the end of the day mitch marner is an absolutely fantastic hockey player the way i look at it is no matter who it is, whether it's Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews or William Nylander or Morgan Riley or Jake Muzzin, whomever it is, if you have the opportunity to make your team better, you have a responsibility to do so, which means that if Ken Holland unplugs his brain and calls Kyle Dubas and says, I'll trade you McDavid for whoever, then I don't care who goes out the door, you make that trade. And so the point there is, whether it's Marner or Nylander or whoever else, it doesn't matter at this point. If you have an opportunity to make the Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club better, then you need to do that regardless of what goes out the door. So in, in terms of, and I agree with what you're saying there, but in terms of better, you know, we, we talk about it. You know, I, I just look at the trade. Let's, let's, let's kind of pinpoint Morgan Riley there. I think if any of the guys were going to get dealt this summer, just given the prices that were paid for defensemen, it felt like he was the most obvious one. And I just, how much of that do you, do you weigh? The team is worse off without Morgan Riley, but it's the thing we talked about of the changing of the core and the, the adding urgency to the group. Like, how, how do you weigh the... I wish I had a better way to phrase this, the psychological benefits of really kind of punching the core in the mouth and saying, look, it's not the same as it's been in trading one of those core pieces and potentially actually losing a little bit of on-ice product. If you, And again, I'm kind of sticking with Morgan Riley there because I just feel like the salary he makes, you're not going to be able to replace that production for, for what he makes now. Right. So you make a great point there with your, your last comment. Morgan Riley outside of William Nylander is probably the best bang for the buck mm -hmm. of the core. 
William Nylander's contract is not up for litigation. It's really not even up for discussion anymore. Like, it's ridiculous to even make a comment that he's not worth his contract. Morgan Riley, though, he's on an expiring deal. We saw what happened with Zach Hyman. We've seen what happened with James Van Riemsdyk and Tyler Bozak. However, I would argue that all of those players were overpaid on their next contracts with the next teams they went to. So, in theoretically, you're fine. With Morgan Riley, because the Leafs are in their contending window now, unless you are getting a player that helps you immediately, which means they can step in the lineup now, you can't trade them because this is your window. And so if you have the opportunity to go out and get a younger defenseman, I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be there. You might have to package something else with Morgan Riley, but we saw that Columbus was able to get Adam Boquist. I think that if you can get a defenseman like that, then yes, you look at moving Morgan Riley. But the problem you have is you still have three guys making $11 million. And so you're taking away one of the value contracts and probably not getting something better in return. Whereas I look at it, I think that 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 might make your team worse. And you need to potentially look at spreading the wealth a little bit if you're going to make a trade. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think the way you laid that out make, makes a ton of sense to me. And at Sportsnet tonight, Brent Gunning here talking to Rachel Dory of the uh, Staff and Graph podcast. You know, I, I do want to look at the, the two games that have been played. And I, the thing I keep going back to, it's not as simple as to say, no, Matthews, you can't take anything out of these games. But, I mean, you go up and down the NHL and take number one centers out of teams. And I think, yeah, there's there's a lot to be kind of missing there. And there's a lot to kind of take a deep breath, like, like you stressed there. You know, what do you think will look different for this team like how much obviously you get a you know a 50 goal man a, a rock richard winner into the lineup it changes things but i feel like it's going to be and maybe this is just overstating the obvious here but it just feels like it's going to be night and day you get john Tavares playing 2c you have the shutdown line that's looked pretty good in stretches uh, minus pierre engvall's atrocious giveaway the other night and all of a sudden the lineup makes sense there's been so much talk about how thin it is and i think a lot of it is yes there's questions about the bottom six but you take away any team's number one center and it's going to look a little thin well it's interesting you say that because pittsburgh went into tampa bay without okay. crosby and malkin and <laughs> ran and ran the lightning out of the ring right <laughs> now i'm not for a moment going to suggest that that is going to keep up uh because it won't it just it flat out won't the thing with the lease is even if you remove Matthews, which is a big loss, I'm not going to understate that, you still have two $11 million players in your lineup, and you still have two top 20 players in the NHL in your lineup. So to me, you should be able to mitigate those losses because that's what you're paying the other two $11 million players for in the same way that in the playoffs, when you lose Tavares, that is obviously a big blow but you have two guys making 11 million dollars still in your lineup they have to be able to mitigate that loss because across the ice there aren't any 11 million dollar players and so I look at it and I go okay Matthews is going to come back it's obviously going to be a jolt to the team Mitch Marner is going to get his running mate back John Tavares goes to 2C that obviously makes the depth a little bit better but to be giving the Leafs a pass because they're missing Matthews, to me, is 
it's not an acceptable thing to do because Matthews isn't going to come in and magically fix the starts. The Leafs are still terrible starting when he's in the lineup. And that's really, I think, what we're talking about here because they ran Ottawa pretty much out of the rink last night when it, when it came to the actual shot quality and the number of slot shots. Like, I think I saw the amount of slot shots that the Leafs had last night would have been in the top three in the last five years. Like, that's how many scoring chances they had. They just ran into, like, Dominic Hoshik, basically. And sometimes that's how things go. You get bounces against you. And at the end of the day, those bounces don't go against you if you don't, like, if you start the game on time, if you're engaged. And they just haven't been. And I don't think that Matthews fixes that problem. No, I, I agree. I, I want to be clear. I'm not letting him off the hook because of that. I think it's more just the conversation about what the bottom six kind of looks like without that guy. And again, you you know, you know have no second-line center right now. It's Kerfoot playing it. But I, I, I agree with everything you say. You know, we keep coming back to the idea that even without Matthews, there's still an $11 million center there in John Tavares. What exactly do you think he is? Because I think that there has been the way everything happened with the playoff series last year, obviously a little people a little hesitant to criticize but he has had kind of slow moments where are you at on just what what John Tavares gives you and and is it close to an 11 million dollar player right now I think first of all anyone who criticizes Tavares for like anything close to the playoffs I mean you just crumple up that opinion and throw it in the garbage because I, I honestly I thought that man's career was over with how he looked on the ice I was legitimately scared um just for his well-being Never mind as a hockey player. John Tavares is, first of all, like, you want to talk about two-way players. That's a two-way player. Consistently good defensively, on the penalty kill, plays against the other team's best players. Like, Sheldon Keith uses him to shut down other lines because he doesn't trust Alex Kerfoot or anyone in the bottom six. So not only are you expecting Tavares to score an $11 million clip, you're also expecting him to defend at that clip as well. And those same expectations are not put on Mitch Marner, are not put on Austin Matthews. And so I think fair expectations for Tavares, probably 70, 75 points, but he's your go-to matchup guy. And when you think about Patrice Bergeron, for example, when you think of Patrice Bergeron, the first thing you think about is not how many goals he scores. It's how good defensively he is and how terrible it is to play against him. And I think Tavares, that's obviously not to the same level, but he is far more effective at shutting down the other team's best players and still scoring than he gets credit for. And so if you look at someone like Anze Kopitar, I think that's a little bit more of a fair comparison. Anze Kopitar is probably not going to put up 90 points in the same way that Connor McDavid will put up 100 or Leon Dreisaitl will put up 90 or Austin Matthews will put up 90. But Anze Kopitar is also going to be out there defensively in the last two minutes of the game. He's going to be playing on the penalty kill. And I think that's a better comparison for John Tavares. They make the same salary. And so that's kind of what I'd be looking at. If I'm the Leafs and I get 70, 75 points out of Tavares and I get to use him as my matchup guy, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think I not to mention think not to mention he's your captain, and it was quite clear that the Leafs were lacking a captain's presence in the playoffs last year. It was abundantly clear. 
Uh, agreed. I think that is a great, great comparison. I think there are a lot of people listening to this interview that would say, yeah, I, I'll take the five-point night Kopitar had last night, and I'll take the couple of cup rings. But uh, I, I, I tease. Uh, Rachel, That that's a really good comparison. I really enjoyed the chat tonight. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Have a great Friday night. Same to you. Let's watch some puck. I'm going to sneak in some baseball as well. Uh, there she goes, Rachel Dory. Uh, check her out on the Staff and Graph podcast. Tavares, I think, is going to be... You know, we 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 sometimes overuse the term X factor. This guy's going to be the X factor. The Leafs have four tremendously talented forwards, and you know, on if any given night, two of them show up and they're on the same line, or even if they're on opposite lines, it's the game's going to go in their favor. But it does feel to me like John Tavares being a two C versus a one B C can really change things up. If he is actually acting and playing like a first-line center, which I think he's still capable of, it definitely, definitely changes uh, the Leafs' season. Going to switch gears a little bit right now. Get you ready for Game 1 of the American League Championship Series tonight. They're at Minute Maid Park in Houston. Something tells me those Crawford boxes are going to take a beating in this series, you got two great offenses in the Red Sox and the Astros. Of course, uh, the pitching matchup tonight is going to be an interesting one. Uh, Chris Sale getting the ball for the Red Sox. That was a big, big, big shock to me. And who better to bring in to talk about it now? And I, I'm just going to tell her this now as so we save a little time for it. We also have to talk about Mookie Betts and the NLCS. But I will start with the game that's actually happening tonight. I bring in Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just jump right into it. Chris Sale starting game one when Cora explains the decision of, yeah, if I, if I need to lean on Pavetta and Hauk, I'd rather do it in game one than game two. It makes sense to me. But I also think Nathan Avaldi is the best chance to have your best starter pitching in game one of the series. What did you make of the Red Sox decision to go with Sale tonight? It's interesting. I mean, I, I sort of had the same reaction as you where, you know, I expected it to be Nathan Abaldi. I think we all did. But I think one thing we've learned throughout this postseason and the 2018 postseason as well is really just not to question Alex Cora with these moves. He seems to always make the right move in October. And so, you know, if he thinks that this is going to set his bullpen up in a better way, if he does have to go to more of a bullpen game, then I, I feel like I'm inclined to believe that only because of the results that we've seen so far. And, you know, Chris Sale has obviously struggled a decent amount in the postseason throughout his career, but I really chalk up those struggles in prior years before 2021 to being tired. You know, he used to be a workhorse, and by the time he got to October with the Red Sox in previous years, he was just exhausted, and I really think that that played a role in how he pitched. So even though he didn't pitch great so far this postseason, I don't think that that factor is really going to be part of this because he missed so much time because he was out with Tommy John surgery. So, you know, maybe that's the reason for optimism with his pitching as well. Yeah, it's funny. He he has had some questionable numbers in the postseason, but arguably two of the biggest moments in the Red Sox last World Series win. You know, he actually shuts yep. it down. He gets the final out. That's pretty important. And then uh, him screaming at the dugout, and I forget what game it was, but waking the bats up and, and getting everything going. So uh, he, he definitely has made his mark, even if it hasn't always always kind of been on the mound. You know, when you're just looking at this series heading into it, uh, you know, the Astros, the betting favorite, I think most people like them. The Red Sox have kind of been on this magic run lately. You know, just how much of a shot do the Red Sox have? And does it need to start with a Chris Sale win or at least a strong performance tonight to not tax that pen? 
I think they have a really good shot, and I think it got a lot better with what happened with Lance McCullers Jr. You know, initially we thought that he would be on the roster, just not available until game three or game four. But when the roster came out today, he was not on it, and that really changes the tenor of the Astros' pitching decisions. And Framber Valdez has been great, and they have other really good options. But not having Lance McCullers Jr., who was there to be the ace and there to be the guy to start game one, game four, and be available for game seven if you need him to be, really puts them in a different spot. So I already felt like the Red Sox had maybe more of a shot than we've heard just generally in terms of discussions that are out there. And when I saw that happen when the rosters came out earlier this afternoon, I I just had more and more faith in that. I mean, a lot of it doesn't even come down to numbers. It comes down to intangibles. I mean, we've seen teams get to the postseason and get hot at the exact right time, and it really feels like the Red Sox have done that. We'll see with their bullpen. That is definitely the biggest concern I have with the team overall. I think the offense has shown all year that they can absolutely hang, but we're not sure where that bullpen is at. That, it didn't end up factoring in in that race series. They were able to hammer that down, and obviously in the wild card game as well. But we'll see when they're going up against the Astros offense, which was the best in the majors this year. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting. And of course, uh, and we'll switch to the National League here. But of course, hard to see these two teams uh, playing each other without thinking of Alex Cora back in Houston and everything uh, that transpired there. Looking at the National League Championship Series, and we'll draw the line with Alex Verdugo right to Mookie Betts and the Dodgers. You had a wonderful stat about Mookie Betts that I'm just going to read back to you and then I'll get you to expand on a little bit. Mookie Betts has 13 hits over a six-game span of potential elimination games. That is the most hits in any six-game span of potential postseason elimination games in history also the Dodgers have won all six of those games I I jokingly not jokingly refer to Mookie Betts as the best player in baseball I, I think he is tremendous I mean you see a stat like that and you mentioned the intangibles and I think that just plays into it perfectly Mookie Betts has the ability to take over a game. And, you know, I was actually on a podcast yesterday morning giving some predictions for game five, and I was asked for an X factor for both the Giants and the Dodgers. You know, Dodgers win if X, Y, Z happens. Giants win if this happens. And my answer for the Dodgers was Mookie Betts. You know, he had, for him, not the best regular season. He got off to a not great start. He dealt with some injuries throughout the year. But we have seen him absolutely put a team on his back in 2018 with the Red Sox and last year with the Dodgers in the postseason. And I just felt like if he could go out there and have a great game, the Dodgers would win. And what did he do? He got four hits and a stolen base in a winner-take-all game, just put it all out there on display. And that's that you just read, read out. I mean, I love looking into that. And it's amazing. I mean, the Dodgers have had their back against the wall Six times in the last two years, I'm not sure that people really realize that. That six-game span is all since 2020, right? So that's any game where they could have gotten eliminated. Obviously, in the NLCS last year, that did go to a game seven. And, uh, you know, just everything that we've seen from them. And they played in the wildcard game, and they had to win game four and game five in this series. So it's just amazing how he's carried the team. And I really think that that puts the dot spot heading into this series. I mean, you know, baseball always finds a way to surprise us, but I would be very surprised if we saw those 88 win Braves take down the 106 win Dodgers. 
especially with Mookie Betts. Maybe if Mookie Betts was a brave, maybe, maybe. You should call him Mookie (laughs) Best uh, instead. Sarah, we're tight for time, but thanks so much for uh, sneaking in a couple minutes for us here and enjoy the baseball tonight. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. There she goes. Sarah Langs, uh, MLB.com. Love, love, love her work. Check her out on Twitter, S. Langs on Twitter there. Honestly, a tremendous follow. She's giving you great nuggets like the one I just read out there. You know, we have had the argument in baseball for oh so long of who's the best player. You can't tell me it's not that guy when he's going. I know the numbers will tell me it's not, but think about how much he matters there. Game one of the American League Championship Series starting up tonight. Chris Sale, bit of a surprise starter in game one for the Red Sox. Framber Valdez gets the ball for Houston. The pregame show is coming up next. The first pitch goes just after eight. Thanks so much for joining us on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.